Blog Talk Radio. Center of the world. Latitude zero. Longitude zero. Planned by the Creator. Cisanthropus was the first man found on the Earth. That earth was the motherland, Africa. We know that without total understanding of what happened in the past, it would be difficult to relate to the future. We know that within the structure of the music, there should be a message, and the message should be truth. So now, we give you Africa. Good evening. This is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady.
grandfather killed my great-great-grandfather. And your white-great-grandfather sold my great-grandfather. And your white-grandfather raped my grandmother. And your father stole, cheated, lied, and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We are at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood pressure through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. Some go in shock when they first hear the news. Press play and then rewind and review. But the message is clear and it cuts just like the knife. You don't surrender, they take your life. And I remember some movies my mama used to show me. What's your name? Remember the times when they bought and they sold us. We are That's what I told you. Okay. 
violation Wicked and true The black man will be harder to find Than dinosaur food You should have read the books And understood That America's no damn good I ain't the hero I warned you That it was coming I gave you the message When the fucking drummer was drumming The end is here for big and small Mother Africa's final call Because develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. We welcome you to Africa on the Move on August the 20th, 2023. Our theme today is Army to Race and lessons from the 60s. That's right. The theme today is Farming to Race and Lessons from the 60s. We encourage you to join us by dialing in at 
646-679-0841. Like always, we're in the heat, we're in the seat, and we're going to take the heat. As you decide it, we're going to stand behind it. What we're going to do at this point in time, you know, how we got to get started with our party, we're going to introduce to you our critical panelists and analysts for today's program. First and foremost, I'd like to bring in Brother Haki and welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. I'm Brother Africa. Thanks for having me. My name, <coughs> my name is Haki Kamafi from Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness Association. And uh, let me tell you, Brother Africa, the situation going on in West Africa, I think, is important for a tremendous amount of reasons. But I think, uh, you know, just to clarify, uh, you know, why what happened in Nigeria is so important. I think I wrote a little bit about it in terms of so many dynamics that are going on behind the scene, which people may not be cognizant of. So I think it's important to understand, you know, all the parameters associated with what's happening currently in Nigeria. And certainly what's taking place in Nigeria is a benefit, you know, to freedom-loving people, not just throughout the world, but specifically in Africa. But having said that, Brother Africa, listen to this. <clears throat> Frederick Douglass once stated, power can seize nothing without a demand. This expression is particularly relevant to the, to the oppressed masses in the world and their political leadership actions. In the case of Africa, given the historical precedence of oppression directed at the entire continent, leaders that personify resistance against Western imperialism are imperative if a new paradigm is to be created. However, when progressive and bold political leadership is lacking because of corruption or ineptitude, the level of economic marginalization or underdevelopment of the African economy proliferates. Mohamed Bazoum, former president of Nigeria, epitomizes the indifference to African subjugation and the willingness to carry out France imperialism to the detriment of Nigeria. Mute your phone. Mute your phone. Being the consummate neo-colonial agent, Bazoum refused to participate in the Russian-Africa summit. I'm waiting for you to mute your phone. All right. Bazoum, the consummate neo-colonial agent, Bazoum refused to participate in the Russian-Africa summit despite potential benefits for, this, for the country of Nigeria. His willingness to kowtow to Western interests, particularly France, served as a source of discontent among the masses, which was articulated by university students. Preferential economic arrangements or agreements prioritizing uranium to France at the expense of more lucrative deals with other states requiring uranium largely came to identify Bazoum's administration as the reason for so much discontent. Now, if the military of Nigeria has, has its own reservations about Bazoum and its relationship with the Indiana National Guard and its 1,100 U.S. troops stationed in Nigeria, along with two French military bases in Nigeria, also over 1,500 soldiers. Not surprisingly, Nigeria's military suspension, suspicion of Western counterinsurgency operations by Western military officials have long been a concern as well. Over the last five years, four, five formal, <clears throat> over the last three years, Five former French colonists in Africa have, successful, have successfully achieved coups despite claims by both France and the U.S. counterinsurgency operations exist to ensure stability 
of African states. The exact opposite of stability was occurring. In addition, insurgents were appearing to grow in strength, and the logistical operations uh, seemed to increase their effectiveness in successfully carrying out raids in, in places that African forces were least present. Nigeria's military apprehension was confirmed when mental reports out of Mali conveyed similar sentiments that confirmed uh, terrorism by, West, by, by the West were being used to destabilize African states by funding opposition groups, <clears throat> both financially and with weapons. Like destabilization strategies used by the U.S. in places like Syria, <coughs> Iraq, Yemen, and Afghanistan, similar strategies, most recently in Africa, Australia and South Africa specifically, would be resurrected. According to Mali's foreign, foreign minister, Abdelaye Dia, France would, val- would violate Mali's airspace, presumably to drop arms and provide logistics for insurgents. Like previous military engagements in other African states, opposition groups access to access to advanced weapons while isolated in desolate or remote areas never seems to be addressed by Western military officials. Despite incontrovertible evidence, destabilization strategies <clears throat> directed at Africa lies behind Western military intervention in Africa. Now, this strategy persists in part due to individuals like former President Bazoum willingness to acquiesce to Western imperialism. Bazoum's indifference toward the plight of the suffering in Nigeria is undeniable. It goes without saying, behavior is a strong determinant in engaging the individual's essence, but philosophically underpinnings reveals the consciousness or lack thereof of the soul. What individuals say encapsulates thoughts, feelings, and emotions. This is relevant because after one week after being removed from power by the military under the auspices of mass content, Bazoum appealed not to the people but Western powers. If Bazoum really believed in democracy, he would recognize sovereignty (coughs) of the people is where legitimacy exists. As such, appeals to right appeals to right a wrong, in his view, were not directed to the people, but rather his, to his foreign handlers. In appealing to Western leaders, he stated, quote, we are fighting for our shared values, including democratic pluralism and respect for law. He continues, stating, Nigeria, Nigeria is under attack from a military junta trying to overthrow our democracy. We asked the U.S. specifically to overthrow the junta, end quote. Apparently unaware of his contradictory stand, he can place democracy in pluralism. The same person who shudders at any idea of wealth sharing or, or, uh, the, or acknowledging the existence of communism as a, as a concept, in addition to expressing fears of Russian militaries who are invited to African leaders, who are invited by African leaders, constitute an offense, is someone who really does not understand democracy nor pluralism. Indeed, Bazoum's lack of appreciation for democracy has solidified economic conditions that reinforces the marginalization of Africa, in particular Nigeria. In the context of Western Central uh, African states, 14 of these states are burdened by France's economic policy that ensures 50% of the 14 former French colonies reserve deposits are held in French banks. 50% of 14 African states' reserves will be deposited in France, where France will use uh, Africa's reserves these same reserves to invest in euros or currency under the Forex scheme, vastly increasing France wealth while former colonies in Africa become exceedingly poor. Fortunately, in 2018, spearheaded by ECOWAS, which is a union of South African states, West African states, planned to begin to implement a new currency to replace the currency advocated by the France called the CIFA. The new currency called the ECO is slated to begin in 2027. Unfortunately, the previous monetary agreement with the CIFA, will continue with little inclination about, uh, with, with, for Brazil 
was ever interested in fundamental uh, new economic alignment succeeding. But Zoom's removal was deemed essential for a myriad of reasons. First, his propensity to put his religious beliefs before the good of Nigeria society made it easier for Western intelligence agencies to manipulate him using psycho- psychological operations and material bribes. Secondly, ignoring the will of the people creates its own kind of instability. Legitimate expressions of discontent can only be quelled for so long. Brutality can be inflicted by the state, but the more brutality inflicted on the masses, the more they agitate toward a message of resistance. In geopolitical terms, the more the discontent among the masses, the more the opportunity for Western intelligence to foment chaos from increasing numbers ensure not only will instability excel inside the country, but also compound the problem of business activity among so much chaos. IMF and other institutional international financial institutions will, will use widespread corruption as a justification to lower Africa's commodity prices, expanding the level and scope of instability. Just one more reason why Bazoom's removal is viewed favorably, increasing the chances a more enlightened individual rise to power, willing to establish a new new paradigm while resisting imperialist yeah. demands. With that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Making the transition from Brother Hakeem to Brother Anthony, who is a member of the All African People's Revolution by GC. We welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to, the, uh, to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Uh, We recognize this as the ultimate solution to all problems facing African peoples throughout the world. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, we now will go to Brother Moses, who's a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. The struggle continues to be to unite the many to defeat the few. I'm in the struggle for the complete emancipation of the female sex. I'm in the struggle against Zionism. I'm against all forms of injustice and cruelty. And um, I just want to thank you for allowing me to be on this show. I try to serve the people and keep politics in command. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses to Sister Eleanor, who is also a member of the PC. Okay. 
Princess Eleanor. Yes, one more. to ask on the move. Thank you. Good evening, Brother Africa, and to our listeners uh, in the United States and abroad and fellow panelists. My name is Eleanor Johnson, and I am delighted to be participating in this forum this evening. As we see, there is a major international struggles over energy and the environment as we see uh, of the massive fires in Hawaii, as we saw them in Greece, and we see that the pipeline that was going from Algiers to Spain is being ignored and aggressively the uh, French are trying to move uh, aggressively there's a move to pipe gas from Nigeria uh, through Niger and across uh, Africa into Europe well um, that should have been thought out a little bit more before the uh, fuel line was blown up between Russia and Europe. Uh, The United States continues to, and the Great Britain continue to try to marginalize and break the Russian economy and to establish uh, Russian resources such as gold, uh, uh, gas, and other resources as commodities as they do in Africa and uh, uh, deny uh, now to deny Russia uh, its its, uh, place in the world economy. So I uh, look forward to this evening's forum. Just want to say in retrospect, uh, happy birthday to Brother Fidel Castro. He would have been 100 years old this month. And to the Cuban people, Viva la Revolution. And I am also a member of the coalition. And thank you once again for allowing me to participate. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. You're listening to Africa on the Move. We're going to take this revolutionary culture break. And when you come back, we're going to discuss what's going on in your world and the community. This is Brother Africa, and you are listening to Africa on the Moon.
Hey 
we had all kind of technical issues and all kind of issues of of not of the routine. Africa on Moon has been on for eleven years as of the first Sunday of September. The first Sunday of this September will make our eleventh anniversary of being on. We have produced over five hundred and twenty eight shows. And we never really had this happen to us to the degree that we took place last week. Last week, we lost total control of our board, our participants, our guests, our members could not speak. And also, on top of that, as of the day, we have contacted the All Talk Radio Network several times during this week to try to find out why this program was not air, why it cannot be downloaded, and what's really happening. Up to this point, we have not received no information back from Blog Talk on why our program has not been downloaded, why people are not allowed to get into our program. And again, we don't know the dynamics of it, but we do know that whenever there's oppression, there'll be resistance, and whenever there's resistance, you know, the enemy will do other things to undermine you. We're not quite sure where it's coming from, but we know that's what that's what is happening to this program. So if you have any issues, any problems, we uh, as relates to this program not having access to it, we suggest that you listen to orders, audience, orders to call law, to write them in, let them know, ask them what's going on. But we haven't as of yet have not received no official response. Of their headquarters. So again, this is something that we don't own, something that we don't control. But like all conscious African people, we have a tool that is available that can be used and may be used to advance our people and humanity, then we have the obligation to do so. So we thought we'd share that with our listening audience and with our members, and this is what's going on right now as it relates to Africa on the Moon and the projection of this program. So again, you can raise your concerns with the network of Blog Talk Radio. Now, at this point in time, what we would like to do is move forward under the segment, What's Going On Your World and the Community. If you'd like to join us, you can dial in at 323 Six seven nine zero eight four one, and we can operate a little bit differently from normally how we operate. For our panelists, that's on today. You can leave your mics on live, so we actually be very respectful that when you're not talking, you can meet your mic, meet your mic. Because last week, the majority of our panelists were locked out, and we hope that you know we can avoid it this week. So again. Your mic will be live, so be conscious about the background. Mute your mic. But if you have to say something, just unmute and just interject as we maybe doing the discussion of a particular issue. So those are our house rules for every day. Again, we may not give you what you want, but we will do our best to give you what you need. We know that information is very important. It's the information that shape us, help develop us. 
allow us the ability to say that we're going to do the best we can to serve you with the information that can make you become responsible and fight for a humane and just society for all mankind. So on that note, let's get started with the issue of what's going on in your world and the community. And what I'll do right now before we get into our topic or the video dealing with neocolonialism is a crime and a sin by our dear sister, um, Dr. Atani Chimofaru. She, I know she's a former head of the African Union. Uh, she's been getting a lot of press going around, speaking truth to power. But before we get into that discussion, please, dear panelists, if you'd like to share something particular about what's going on in your world community, you can do that. I start off with you, Brother Haki. Back to yours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Brother Africa, uh, one of the things, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, authoritarianism. And what we have to fundamentally understand, there's a deep relationship between the state of the economy and the emergence of authoritarianism. Certainly in the context of American economy, uh, the, the economy, the U.S. economy is extremely precarious. And the reality is that politicians understand that, the, the capitalist class understand that. But increasingly, I, I think what's beginning to happen, increasingly more and more uh, ranking file begin to understand that something fundamentally skewed in terms of the functioning of the economy. Now, recently, uh, Moody's uh, credit agency downgraded uh, the credit ratings of 10 mid-sized banks and placed six giant banks in review for downgrades. And this is interesting because the whole thing is that, you know, when you think about in terms of downgrades, normally you think in terms of uh, maybe, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, looking at in terms of government policy to appraise, you know, whether or not uh, the credit rating would be downgraded. In this particular case, the credit agency Moody did a, 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 a in, in run. They didn't indict the U.S. government in terms of its poor credit performance, and in, in the state blamed the banks in terms of new credit uh, problems with uh, problems uh, problems with the economy, thereby thereby uh, the, uh, uh, limiting uh, decreasing their credit rating. I think clearly in, the, in, in lieu of what happened in 2011, when Standards and Poor Credit Agency downrated of the U.S. credit ratings, I think that the people at Moody's understood that if they want to keep their jobs, they best not downgrade the U.S. government credit rating, and it's, more, it's, it's much more desirable to go after banks because banks don't have the power the U.S. government has in terms of shutting them down. So I think it's very, very interesting. But one of the things that they, they, they allude to is so-called conservative economic, economic profession, professionals. They, their position is that the probability uh, or the profitability uh, of pressures that banks are facing are the direct result of a decline of uh, real estate purchases resulting from high interest rates and decline in demand for credit. On some level, that's very, very true. Uh, certainly, you know, in the context of declining <clears throat> real estate purchases, if there's no business to be had, if people simply can't support those businesses, in a certain extent, not to acquire properties, uh, you know, to innovate or to create businesses. That certainly makes sense. Uh, and certainly your argument can be made that high interest rates does have an impact in terms of the overall business uh, environment, particularly when it comes to uh, things like borrowing money or, or even credit. So certainly that makes sense. But I think the much deeper problem is that it's, it's, it's much more fundamental. And that is when you, when, you, when, you, when you talk about the decline of the U.S. economy, you can't talk about it without talking about First and foremost, the decline of the real economy. 
in that sense, uh, we have to take into consideration when we talk about why the economy is performing so badly, why the banks are in decline. We have to take into consideration the, the massive structural unemployment situation that exists in the context of capitalism. Uh, clearly, in order to profit, then the, the more people are unemployed, the greater the possibility. And given a situation where economy is in decline, then certainly uh, the increasing to that number of unemployed people also inevitably leads to an increase in terms of profit for those people in positions of power. So uh, they have no problem in terms of you know increasing uh, massive unemployment, and that is problem. And that is a, and that is a, historically has always been a problem in the context of capitalism. Also, one of the things I think you know, when we talk about the, uh, the decline or the possibility of banks or decline of the U.S. economy generally, I think you can't dismiss the whole question around uh, tax cuts for the wealthy. I mean, you know, clearly, uh, when you talk about, you know, $67 billion in tax cuts or corporate tax cuts, uh, clearly you, you, you're, talking about, uh, you're talking about a situation which is, which is not only ironic, but in, but in the, but in the clearest sense, uh, naive. Because if you give these kind of tax breaks to corporations, um, they don't have to produce anything. They're profitable if even they don't have to produce anything. And keep in mind, also when you talk about corporate, uh, when corporate taxation, corporates don't corporate corporate ta- corporates are not based upon uh, 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 <clears throat> what corporations actually produce or they actually sell. Uh, and in that context, uh, there's always been a disincentive in terms of in, in, in terms of taxing corporations. So when, you, so when you talk, and this is a particular problem, when you talk about a situation currently that exists now in which they're currently in the federal, federal uh, the, the Supreme Court, they're trying to pass laws in which they, <clears throat> uh, that you can no longer tax uh, the dividends from, 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 from your profits. Already, dividends are exempt from taxation, particularly assuming that you don't use those dividends, you don't use those, you don't, you don't cash those bonds in. You can use the, the the money from those those bonds. They will continue to stay on the book. So as long as you do not cash them in, then that money is, is on your books to be used at a later point, tax free. And so clearly, you know, so we talk about you know, so we talk about these kind of issues, and we can't divorce that from the overall functioning in terms of decline of the banking system. And finally, brother brother Africa, I think you know one of the things that we talk about, you know, government expenditures. Uh, one of the things you know we're talking about in terms of military expenditures. We're talking about like something like six hundred and seventy-eight billion dollars for government expenditures. Well, the problem with with the government expenditures that, that that those kind of expenditures is that when we talk about particularly when we talk about military expenditures, one of the problems is that you know um, this is the best. It's not the best use of money because that money, <clears throat> those uh, that spending that you provide for provide for the military doesn't come back in the form in terms of you know creating a better economic condition. It actually it actually Create a condition in which undermines the effectiveness or the non or the, or, the, or, the, or, the, or the profitability of the system. Because what happens is, in the context of military expenditures, it doesn't matter. For instance, if you talk about Ukraine, it doesn't matter the U.S. spends billions of dollars of military weaponry to Ukraine, and only for the Russians to put equipment up. Because it really doesn't matter. Because the bottom line is all about it's all about making money. It's all about making profit. So the more the sort of more armament 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 they can send to, to Ukraine to get blown up, the more the profitability for corporations in America, like Lockheed and so forth. Uh, so clearly, you know, so when we talk about the declines in the bank, we can't dismiss these realities in terms of, in terms of, <clears throat> in, in terms of why the economy is teetering, teetering on, on, on total collapse. 
And finally, Brother Africa, I got to, in addition to the banking sector in terms of poor performance, I think when we talk about the poor, function, the poor functioning of banks, we can't, we can't exclude the fact that we talk about, um, you know, when we talk about bankruptcies, particularly the rate of businesses in the United States has been growing leaps and bounds. As a fact, as of June of 2023, 15,723 businesses have gone under, uh, you know, t- filing for uh, bankruptcy. And so clearly, given that reality, uh, when you talk about situations of employment, if increasingly more and more businesses are going under, and I'm not just talking about small and medium businesses, I'm also talking about larger businesses like Walmart, um, uh, uh, Best Buy, um, 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 there's other big ones that lose me at, the, at, the, at this moment. But when you talk about these larger corporations in terms of, uh, in terms of you know, uh, you know, uh, filing bankruptcy, you know, to protect. To protect their assets, we have to fundamentally understand and protect their assets. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything in terms of the development or the or the interests of society at large. As long as you have a capitalist society with the interests of based upon the accumulation of wealth by the few at the expense of the many, then it really doesn't matter whether bankruptcy is filed or not filed. The bottom line is businesses are going to find ways in which to create an incentive for them to win, win, win. And certainly in the context of capitalism, that incentive already exists in which they win, win, win. So even though they win and win, it does a disservice to the economy. But we have to fundamentally understand, given this re- reality, of that as this economy declines, the inevitability of blaming somebody for this problem has to exist. And so in that context, we talk about the rise of authoritarianism as a response to a declining economy. And we as a, and we as a people, I think, we really have to understand the implicit threat in terms of declining, declining U.S. economy. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Ike. Next, Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. What's going on in your world and the community? Yeah, wait for Brother Anthony. The mic is yours. While you wait for Brother Anthony and Brother Moses, if you're available now, you can go ahead and move forward. Brother Moses, and we'll come back to Brother Anthony. Brother thank Moses, you, thank you. What's going on in your thank, world in the community? Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. I think you know, you know, there's a there's a saying that even a broken clock is right twice a day. You know, this shows the correct time twice a day, even a broken clock. And so I apply that to um, this reactionary pig, um, Donald Trump. Um, he he definitely is correct and we need to get out of the Ukraine funding the Ukraine war the war machine uh, we need to stop in, investing in that useless cause uh, um, the Ukraine is part of Russia and uh, historically and I don't see any any uh, any reason to be supporting the insurrection uh, now, uh, meanwhile, uh, there was a, a program yesterday uh, for Kwame Ture and the student movement and uh, revolutionary people uh, uh, sponsored by the All African People Revolutionary Party, GC. And I was fortunate enough to be able to listen to it the entire show and uh, there was definitely some revolutionary people on there, and I suggest, you know, 
when when there is an opportunity to to be part of a forum sponsored by the all that from People's Revolutionary Party G C that all revolutionary people listen in and uh and and uh participate. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Donald Trump is being pursued by the by the government uh and uh being indicted and uh Hopefully he will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law because no one is above the law, and he's blatantly, blatantly, no question about it, uh, tried to overthrow the U.S. government's uh, presidency uh, transition. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, you can bring in Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor? This one on your world and the community. Well, we see that in Tennessee, there was a, uh, uh, another shooting. Uh, this convent school, uh, there was a shooting. Um, and uh, uh, Tennessee continues to hold the reins since 2007 of having more deaths uh, against violence against women uh, than uh, it's in the top 10 in the United States. Uh, On March 27, uh, 2023, a 28-year-old opened fire at a private Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. The shooter who once attended the school killed six people, three of whom were children. And we continue to see that Tennessee refuses to reform its laws. It's uh, now some months later, uh, and 18 months before the uh, convent school shooting, another gun death sparked local attention when, according to the police records there, a 24-year-old woman was shot and killed by her estranged husband, who was barred by law from owning a gun. The the botched-up police response was covered by local media at the time, but the inner workings of the state law is what failed. The shooter, uh, these people who have these guns that they should not have, the problem is that uh, whether or not they should have the guns is an issue. The issue is who should they turn them over to? And they are able to turn them over to, quote, some responsible Person. Now, how does this separate dangerous people from their guns <clears throat> is now front and center in the state and the national agenda. We cannot continue to see these incidents where uh, I am a dangerous person or someone who is a dangerous person can simply turn their guns over to a relative or uh, a neighbor and not be required to have them destroyed and taken uh, uh, in some structured faction since 
2007, at least 75 people have been killed in Nashville alone from what police describe as domestic violence, uh, domestic shootings, and at least 29 of those victims, uh, nearly 40% were shot by the people who were legally barred from having guns. Um, And so we see this happening. Also, we see colonialism and the struggle for a revolution in the Sudan, and we see that revolution doesn't happen in one moment, but it's a continued struggle uh, to defeat colonialism, and it's a gradual process, but uh, it is that that's going on in the Sudan right now, and it seems to have been quite a struggle since 2029. So, um, you know, I continue to look at what's going on around the world, and I have to concur with uh, Brother Moses about the fact that uh, the U.S. and Great Britain need to pull out of this uh, farce this proxy war of trying to um, create an independent nation of the Ukraine. Um, you know, Odessa, what what country would Odessa then be a part of? A new nation called the Ukraine? So, you know, so much um, it needs to be understood by all of us to understand geography, uh, to understand um, uh, geography. Uh, people like Yunkin, the governor of Virginia, was complaining about children learning history in elementary school. What children do learn is geography. They learn U.S. geography, and we can see how important it is that U.S. in the United States and other countries that people um understand and learn world geography uh that that's uh, really important uh one of the biggest struggles right now we see is in the philippines where the u.s wants to expand its occupation now the philippines is an island nation of seven thousand plus islands but um the goal is now by the United States of America is to not only expand its operations in Africa, but also to expand its operations in the South China Sea. And uh, U.S. President uh, Joe Biden was meeting with two major Asian leaders, and the question was, should NATO be expanded to Asia? Well, of course not, and by the boundaries that NATO has been established around uh, its uh, racist boundaries, um, Asia would be exempt from being a part of NATO. So um, it's quite a complex uh, world there today, we see, but the sooner we pull out of the Ukraine the better. Right now, we're talking about, uh, you hear uh, people uh, uh, talking about having weapons that would be able to strike 
Mother Russia, but the Ukrainians have the access to weapons that would strike Moscow. Now, how that's resolving a conflict? All right. Well, the, how that would resolve a conflict, I don't know. And so, thank you so much. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. We can try to go back to Brother Anthony, see if he's still there. Brother Anthony, what's going on your way community? Can you hear us? Brother Anthony, I think we must have a problem with Brother Anthony. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to do a little, um, we're going to do a little creative detour. We're scheduled to do a discussion on the video, Neutralism is a Crime and a Sin. Our dear sister, who is the former head of the African Union, our sister, Shema Boy, we can table that one for next week. But what we're going to do is take a station break. And along with the station break, we can go straight into our theme tonight, which is Brother Kwame Ture, a lesson from the 60s, 70s, 80s. And we're going to listen to it, then we can come back and discuss that particular message and whether or not there are lessons that we still must learn as relates to all the things that are going on today as relates to Africa and African people. So this is Brother Africa. This is Africa on the Moon. We're going to take a, a cultural break, and it will be followed up by Brother Kwame today talking and speaking to lessons from the 60s and 70s. And we want to apply those things that he stated. So what's going on today? Have you learned anything from me? Time period. So, chop your ears, and when we come back, panelists, we'd like to have your your response to this particular um, lesson from Brother Kwame Ture.
we thank you for your welcome. We have been allotted uh, half an hour and uh, within this half an hour we are to explain some of the lessons of the movement of the 60s and its relationships of the 80s and relevance to the 21st century. I have picked about uh, five areas that I I have picked about five areas which I would like to uh, discuss. The first lesson that we can come to look from the 60s and gain is the understanding that the statement made by Abraham Lincoln is a true statement. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. This statement can be understood within the context of United States imperialism and its role in the late 50s. In the late 50s, based on the resolutions passed at the 5th Pan-African Congress in 1945, a decision was made that Africans the world over must create mass organizations and mass movements to confront colonialism in Africa and the Caribbean in the final round and also to confront racism and economic exploitation in the United States. From 1945 to 1960, within 15 short years of this conference, over 230 million Africans were to gain independence. Swiftly following in that wake, the Caribbean was to light a fire with independence movement, and of course, the United States of America itself, beginning its mass movement since the mid-50s with Martin Luther King and the Montgomery boycott, came to show mass movements everywhere. The American capitalist system, in the wake of the independence struggle in Africa, was trying everywhere to demonstrate to countries just struggling against colonial powers in Europe that it was not like the European powers, that it was not racist, it was democratic, it never had colonies, etc., etc. The African masses in America came to put that lie to arrest quickly. Mass struggle inside the country came to demonstrate before the entire world that America was far from being a democratic country. It came to demonstrate, in fact, that countries in Africa were much further advanced in democracy than America ever was. Here, at least, Africans can vote. In America, they could not. One of the lessons, then, that we must draw squarely from the 60s is an understanding that real struggle must be left and must be understood only by the masses of the people. It is the masses of the people who could not believe the lies of America and came to struggle instinctively against these lies. This instinctive struggle must be properly understood. History, of course, is made both consciously and unconsciously. Last month in Miami, Africans came to unconsciously make history by revolting against brutal conditions and pushing humanity forward. But this was instinctive, unconscious, unplanned. Indeed, this is the same aspect of the struggle that we saw in the 60s, instinctive struggle. That's if we're to draw a conclusion just from this aspect of struggle, that is to say the people struggling unconsciously, unplanned, spontaneously and instinctively, that since people have an instinctive love of freedom, everywhere they will struggle for freedom. The history of Africans in America proved this clearly. Nowhere have they consciously organized to make advance 
All the advances they have made have been unconscious, instinctive, and spontaneous. Certainly you can understand what will happen when these people become thoroughly organized. The lessons then must be clear. Human beings, like animals of the lower form, have instincts. Human beings, unlike animals of the lower form, have the ability to think and reason. The lesson then must be clear. All of our instincts at all times, under all conditions, must be governed by reason. The instinctive struggle of the 60s, the spontaneous struggle of the 60s, the unconscious struggle of the 60s, if they are, served to, if they are to serve to us as lessons, must come to be qualified in conscious movements, or rational movements, and planned movements. This then seems to me to be the first lesson that we would have to acquire from the 60s. <clears throat> of course, the capitalist system lies all the time. Some people think it lies some of the time, but it lies all of the time. And in lying, it has an attempt to make us think that in the 60s we were an organized people and everything was all right. We were not organized. We were a mobilized people. Thus are we to get a heavy lesson from the 60s. The lessons must be clear. A mobilized people, really, an instinctive people, a spontaneous people who struggle, struggle like animals. Even if we take the example of Miami, we can see it clearly here. In Miami we're oppressed, just like we are everywhere else. But we wait until an outside force provokes us into action. Everywhere you will see us, it is always an outside force that provokes the African masses into action, even on the campus here. I told some brothers the other day, you want to organize all the African students on the campus? I can do it overnight. All I got to do is write a filthy sign, derogatory against them, put them on the campus. Next day they all come to the meeting. <laughs> and one of the errors that must be corrected, a people struggling for their freedom cannot depend upon an external force to push them into motion. They must have an internal dynamism of their own. Consequently, the African masses, in drawing lessons from the 60s, must come clearly to understand that they must have a dynamism in their hands to tell them when to attack the enemy, how to attack the enemy, and where to carry their struggle. Thus, the 60s must come to be qualified from a mobilized struggle to an organized struggle. We say they fight like animals. You back an animal up against the wall, and the animal, even a rabbit, will come out striking at you until you back up. Thus Africans, once provoked, come out striking wildly, as they do in Miami. The police retreat, give them some concessions, they sit down, and then the police comes back with more repression. None of the gains made by a, by a mobilized people can be maintained. It is only an organized people who can make gains and use those gains to further their struggle. Indeed, the gains made by the 60s, since they were made by an unorganized people in a state of mobilization, have not been used by the people, but in fact used by the enemy against the people. It is clear for the history of Africans in America that unlike others in this country, the history is not the same, entirely different from everybody else. All those who came here came here expecting a better life. An African put on a slave ship from Africa knew he was coming to hell. It's a fact. Consequently, the relationship between the country cannot be same unless this African has lost consciousness of his history and think that he came on the Mayflower. <laughs> this aspect of organization from mobilization must be properly understood. No individual African in this country makes any advancement based on his individual talents or worth. All individual advancements are based on mass struggle. 
This must be properly understood and can be properly underlined for you once you know the history of Africans is not the same as the history of others. We make no progress in this country without shedding our blood. No one sitting in this audience can give me one example where Africans in this country have made any progress without shedding their blood. In order for them to get into a filthy five and ten cent store, they must shed their blood. In order to sit on a bus where they pay the same amount as everybody else do, they must shed their blood. In order to get their children into state schools where they pay taxes more than anybody else, they must shed their blood. In order to get the vote which every immigrant gets the minute he comes here, they must shed their blood. Consequently, any advances made by any individual African is made as a result of vast struggle. Thus, that position does not belong to the individual African, it belongs to the people. Failure to use this position for the benefit of the people is a betrayal of the blood of the people. Consequently, when we come to correct the 60s and look properly at the lessons, we must become an organized people who once having main gains are capable of choosing for ourselves who will occupy those gains. They come to talk about some man named Brown who's going to be head of the Democratic Party. Who picked him? Who picked him? Did the African masses in the Democratic Party pick him? Not at all. As a matter of fact, the Democratic Party holds the Africans in great contempt. They have more elected positions than any other ethnic group in the Democratic Party and has no power in the party at all. They have 302 mayors, 20 congresspeople, 5,000 state county locals, but no other ethnic group in this country has those many elected officials and still they have no power in the Democratic Party. Why? Because we are not organized. Consequently, to transform our movement, to push it to higher levels, which it must go, because we will arrive at our freedom, if even instinctively, we must come here to put ration and clear reasoning to our struggle and organize the masses of our people. The second lesson we wish to speak of is the role of students. Students, of course, have a role in any society, capitalist society, social society, and their role is to institutionalize the values of the given society. Conscious, of course, in a capitalist system, this should be done unconsciously. But students are the spark of revolution. Of course, we make a difference here between revolution and reform. Those who want reform seek to work, I guess, from the top down. Those of us who understand fundamental changes know must come from the bottom up. The students, of course, always work at the point of ideas in a society. Their job is to acquire knowledge, and of course, this knowledge which they acquired is geared by an ideology which tells them what to do with it. So if you're a doctor, instead of curing cancer, you should turn a man to a woman to get money even though she can't make babies. That was life. Students, we say, at the point of ideas and the point of values. When one speaks of revolution, one speaks of overturning the values of a given society. If one is not speaking of overturning the values, then one speaks of reform. Thus, one can join the Democratic Party. We're not here to overturn its value. But certainly if one is here for revolution and one is here for people's liberation, one would know that a corrupt instrument can never lead a people to liberation at all. Students then, we say, come to question the values of a society. Of course, in relationship to the values, students, just like anyone in their society, have but two alternatives. Either they accept the values or they reject the values. It's as simple as that. Of course, if they reject the values, they have a responsibility to find alternative values. But either you accept cheating as a student or you reject it. It's as simple as that. Either you accept any value in the society or you reject it. Students, once having rejected a society, 
Bringing together their ideas and their energies and strength to work against these values connected with the masses always give us revolution. Thus from the 60s, while the reform movement, we were able to see that students, joined with the masses of the people, came to bring a lot of changes to the country. Thus we must not confuse ourselves, the job of students is clear here. Their job is to spark revolution. Students cannot carry revolution through to the end. The final triumph of revolution must be carried through to the end by the masses, the workers and the peasants. But students play a crucial role. We say they spark revolution. Certainly, if we did not recognize this, the enemy did. The FBI, before the 60s, did not have informers on college campus. After the 60s, they put an informer on every college campus in the country. Their job was simple, stop any activity at all that runs against the status quo. We say it's a mobilized people who can allow this, because when you're mobilized and fight like an animal, after you get tired and you wind down, then the enemy comes back stronger than he did before. Students spark revolution, and we must work everywhere to have students live up to their responsibility of sparking revolution. Here, of course, it calls for the students properly understanding the role of knowledge. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Capitalism is a backward and stupid system. Capitalism is a contemptuous system. Capitalism is a system made on profit. It will make a commodity out of everything. It will take my mother and sell her on a slave block. It will make students acquire knowledge and make them sell their knowledge on the slave block to advance themselves rather than serving humanity. The struggle becomes especially crucial for African students. We say no individual African in this country makes any advance unless it is a result as mass struggle. Any student sitting in any seat in any college in America know that they didn't gain that seat through their own individual talents, but only through the struggles of the masters of their people. Thus, that seat belongs to the people. The knowledge they acquire there must be used for the people, otherwise they have already betrayed the people and have repeated errors. <laughs> uh, thus, students of the 80s going into the 90s have a responsibility to use their knowledge to help advance the struggles of humanity. We say the lessons here must be properly understood and the students going to spark these movements must go properly organized in order to bring organizational skills to the masses of the people. The third area. The 1960s, of course, was a mobilized area and in a mobilized area there would be a lot of confusion. One of the biggest areas of confusion was the basis of the struggle. Some felt that the base of the struggle must be made by appeals to morality. Of course, anyone knowing anything about struggle knows that this cannot be. Even Frederick Douglass so long ago told us that uh, power concedes nothing without demands. It never did and it certainly never will. Consequently, what was learned from the struggles of the 60s is that when one comes to struggle, one must struggle for power, not for morality. Certainly, one cannot speak of morality when one is speaking to capitalism. It is an immoral system. It has no conscience. It knows only its own interest. It will commit genocide to take land from the red man. It will commit slavery to enrich itself. It will drop napalm bombs on babies in Vietnam. Consequently, when we come to talk of advancing ourselves through power, we must come to speak of just that. Power. And we must understand that the only place we find power is through the organized masses. 
Simply put, until the masses of our people are organized, we will remain powerless and thus the victims of all vicious powers that seek to exploit us. The question of morality, of course, must not be put aside, no. But it is clear that any struggling people struggling for justice are already struggling uh, for a moral struggle. Consequently here, the question of morality doesn't lay with them but with the enemy who seeks to keep them oppressed. We must then understand clearly that when we look for power in the 90s, we must look, when, we look for, when we struggle in the 90s to advance ourselves, we must struggle only based on our own power, the, power of the, the ability to organize our people. Of course we said that we advance only through mass struggle and that is clear. Consequently, we must come to understand that it is only through mass organization and conscious mass struggle that we will properly arrive at our liberation in a planned manner. This leads to another point which must be clear, the questions of coalitions. The 1960s, of course, made many errors with coalitions. Here, we believe that political coalitions could be made based on sentiment. Somebody said they feel the way we do, and consequently we come to organize them. The history, of course, of our people shows that this cannot be the case. If one would go back to the history of the South in this country immediately after the Civil War, there arose at that time a party known as the Populist Party. One of the leaders of the Populist Party was a man by the name of Tom Watson, a white man from Georgia. Watson came after the Civil War to tell the Africans that the rich white man, he exploits the poor white man and the poor African. And consequently, what we need to do is to join an alliance against the rich white man. Well, you know us Africans, we just love anything anybody. We just ran into the party. <laughs> we filled the party of the populist. We did work for the populist. We were everywhere in the populist party. After the Hayes-Tilden Compromise, when the government decided to give the South back to the slave masters, Tom Watson became a member of the Ku Klux Klan and drove us out of the populist party. What was the error? The error was that as a force we were not independently organized, thus not even knowing our own power. We went in as individuals into the party, thus they could chase us out. Examples will be found everywhere. The struggle of the labor movements in this country is certainly instructive. If one would look at the struggle for labor unions in this country, one would find that Africans have everywhere played a role out of proportion to their numbers. If you look at labor unions today, they are racist from top to bottom. What was the error? Africans came to enter the unions without being first an organized force. The 60s then come here. We were told that we had coalitions with groups I've never heard of, the labor union. We had interest with the church groups, all of them. They were all, all for our interest. <laughs> of course, the error was that some Africans thought that the interest of America was the same as the interest of us. Of course, the job of the system, the job of the enemy is to confuse you and to let you think that your interest and your history is the same as that of your oppressor. As a matter of fact, the job of the master is to convince the slave that the master is really concerned about the interests of the slave. And if the master doesn't do well, the slave will be in trouble. Any slave who believes that he has the same interests as the master will pick cotton at night. All slaves must understand that their interests are diametrically opposed to the interests of the master. Not only are they diametrically opposed, they are antagonisms to each other. What is good for the master is bad for the slave. What's bad for the master is good for the slave. Of course, we said that even the people instinctively understand this, and the 60s come to clarify the point clearly. Of course, if you would look at the 60s, you would see at the height of the struggle, the struggle for human rights, came to be, uh, there came to be some confusion here with the war in Vietnam. The people always see clearly. 
Instinctively, the people understood, the African masses, that they had to be against the war in Vietnam. There was no question here. But it was in just expression of this position against the war in Vietnam that one came to see that in order to have coalitions, one must really have coalitions based on interest. I am not even talking here of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which was really the radical cutting wing of the movement of the 60s, and which was the first one to take a position against the war in Vietnam. Indeed, it did not take a position for peace. It took an anti-imperialist position. It said clearly it wanted the Vietnamese to win, and the way it was going to do that was to demobilize the Americans by not having an army. Thus, the slogan which Snick gave to them was a simple one. Hell no, we won't go. Simple as that. And that simple slogan, of course, came to cause splits within these coalition forces. The labor unions who walked hands in hands with us for, for struggles, all of a sudden were for the Vietnam War against us. The church itself had to step back. Obviously here, we didn't understand what we were fighting for. We thought we were fighting for freedom. And Dr. Martin Luther King said it all the time, freedom is indivisible. As a matter of fact, he used to say all the time, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Consequently, if there's injustice in Vietnam, I'm stupid thinking I'm sitting in America not to think that it affects me. If there's injustice in Vietnam, I better go cut it down before it comes to find me. Consequently, since Africans assuming that justice was indivisible and began to move and to move everywhere against injustice, they came up against contradictions with those whom they made coalitions around the question of the war in Vietnam. We only use it here as a clear example. Africans cannot form coalitions until they themselves are organized and know exactly what their interests are. Thus, there's no need for us to talk now about coalition with anybody because we are a disorganized people. First, we must become organized. It is for this reason that we're held in such contempt by the Democratic Party because inside the Democratic Party we are a disorganized people, even inside the there, with one fighting against the other simply because we have not organized ourselves properly. It is for this reason that they will give us somebody and make us think that we pick them just because he looks like us. <coughs> Coalitions then can only be formed once we are organized and know precisely what our interests are. What then are the relevancy for the 90s? Revolution is inevitable everywhere in the world, this is clear. And anyone taking just a cursory glance at the United States of America must know that America is more ripe for revolution today than it was in the 60s. What are the conditions that lead us to this conclusion? Number one, the conditions are worse today than they were in the 60s. In the 60s, we didn't have to deal with three million homeless. And not only that, the very objective conditions put the people into contradictions with their own instinctive knowledge. Every man and woman in America, even the most unconscious man or woman in America, knows that America has enough wealth to feed and clothe three million homeless. It's a question of the will of the people. Consequently, the objective conditions we say are higher, but these objective conditions are higher with also another rising factor, the rising consciousness of the people. The enemy tries everywhere through their mouthpiece, the mass media, to make it appear as if the people's consciousness is not growing, as if it stopped. This is stupidity. The consciousness of the people must forever grow. And some of us become confused, not even understanding how it manifests itself. The other day, having a discussion with an elderly man, he came to say to me, Kwame Ture, you're always up on the college campus with our students. I said, oh yes, I work with them all the time. He said, uh, they are more unconscious. They're so unconscious, they're more unconscious than you were when you were a student. I said, never. 
He said, yes. I said, no, if they're more unconscious than we were, our work was in vain in the 60s. He said, no, I'll tell you they're more unconscious than you are. I said, no, they cannot be. He said, if you go up on a college campus and talk to them, they know nothing about Martin Luther King, they know nothing about Malcolm X. I said, that's correct. We don't teach them. But one thing is certain, you cannot put them on the back of a bus. Yes, yes of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. Because <laughs> he was, he went on the back of the door. <laughs> Once history is made, it cannot be unmade. The job of the enemy is to push the people back. Once we broke out of slavery, they did everything possible to push us back into slavery. No, sharecropping, yes, but not slavery. Since the 60s, they've been doing everything else to push us back. But once a man or a woman has learned something, as Sigmund Freud has scientifically demonstrated, it never leaves the mind, even if he thinks he's forgotten it. And once the people have learned something through struggle, never can they forget it. Consequently, the struggles of the 60s must be, un must, you must understood, are already ingrained in the culture of the people, making them more determined to fight, not less. If you come to look properly at America, we say it is more ripe for revolution today than ever before. In the 1960s, and we must show here the rising level of political consciousness. If you want to see the rising level of political consciousness in this country, don't look to the left, look to the right. The right in America today are involved in activities which in the 1960s they considered to be communist. If you would look properly at America today, you will see the conditions are more ripe. In the 60s, the progressive forces were facing the government and the right wing, which were fighting for status quo. Today, the right wing is not with the government. It's against the government. It's fighting the government. You have the right fighting the government and the left fighting the government. The possibility of change becomes easier, even though the right is not fighting for the same change the left is fighting for. That's understood. But the fact that both of them are fighting against the government makes the possibility of change much easier. And we say, if you want to see the rising level of consciousness, look to the white right in this country. Where they disagree with busing, they burn buses. Where they disagree with abortion, they bomb clinics. Thus they themselves have come to demonstrate the use of violence as a potent force in arriving at a political objective. Everywhere, the conditions for revolution are more ripe today than ever before. And in all of this is, of course, the rising consciousness of the people. The younger generation of Africans in this country, the youth, really believe that everything in America they have a right to. They believe it as a result of the struggles of the 60s. When they come up against a wall, there's going to be a serious explosion in this country. That explosion cannot be a repetition of the 60s. Indeed, history never repeats itself, even though bourgeois scholars never stop hopping this song. <laughs> Nothing repeats itself, but people, however, can repeat their mistakes. Yes. And of course, once you repeat a mistake, it is more grave than the first time around. The lessons then must be clear. There is no question, and you must in no way lose faith in the masses of the people. It is they and they alone who make revolution, not their petty bourgeois spokesmen who betray them everywhere. And the conditions of the masses are worse today than they were in the 60s. These masses must have changed and will have changed by any means necessary. The final point here. The final point then. You must not become confused by the American capitalist system which holds up betrayers of the people's struggle as representatives of the people. In any army in the world, if you desert, you should get shot. It's a law. Certainly you must be shot. And if you volunteer for an army, you should be shot twice. <laughs> 
You volunteer for the people's army. The people go to fight. They're ready to fight. You say, I'm leaving. What do you mean you're leaving? But if you will look at our struggle since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on the blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. It must be clear then for the 60s, the class struggle in the African Revolution must be more ruthless and uncompromising than in any other revolution. Here yeah, then the masters must come without pity and without mercy to trample upon these reactionary pigs who after the people have gained struggle through their blood come to hand back the gains on a silver platter to the very enemy the people fought. This will come as a natural consequence. The people themselves are everywhere screaming that it's time for them to deal with these reactionary pigs. Even in America they say, our leaders must be held accountable. They're only saying here that these people must be accountable to those who made it possible for them to get there. Thus, not only is the revolution inevitable, but it is clarifying itself and it is qualifying itself. For the African masses everywhere, the clear poise position now for class struggle has become inevitable and irreversible. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we who knowing that the people will always be free, we, understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been, have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. The organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor, we're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down, we're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. You have just heard lessons from the 60s that Brother Kwame Ray. Often we talk about history is best to reward those who research. And we need to look at history as a guide for us. So we correct the errors of the past and not create the same errors in the future. As you listen to that presentation, panelists, and for my listening audience, you're welcome to call in at 323-679-0841 and give your perspectives on this particular presentation, Lesson 2060. Looking at the present reality, the African people are dealing with, at home and abroad, what lessons have we learned or have not learned based upon lessons from Brother Kwame Ture's presentation? I'll just open the mic up for this discussion. Brother Haki, I'd like to hear some of your thoughts. You raised many issues of contradiction that seem like we still have not learned. But the mic is yours, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, you know, brother, uh, you know, brother uh, Kwame, you know, uh, he, you know, he kept, he, you know, he, 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 he touches upon 
you know, a, 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 a lot of serious issues that has to be uh, confronted with, you know, in the context of struggle in American society. I think one of the biggest problems in terms of, you know, solidifying uh, or, you know, or getting the process in terms of real mass revolution organization in America, I think it's a very difficult problem in terms of getting people to distinguish between being a U.S. citizen versus, you know, your innate, your, your innate, your innate rights or your innate humanity. I think oftentimes there's a great bit of confusion among the minds of many African people who think, in fact, that America's interest is their interest. And in order to think that America's interest is your interest, it means you have to negate a lot of history. Not only do you have to negate a lot of history on some level, particularly a psychological level, you have to internalize the notion that that you're less than. That's the only way you can see yourself as an African person in American society as, 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 as you know, you know, serving the interests, you know, of, of American society. So for me, Brother Africa, I think in terms of, you know, just how do we overcome that, that dichotomy? It's a very difficult, it's a very difficult, it's very difficult to do. Because one of the things, certainly, when you start telling people that you, that you, that you, are you really American, are you objectively American, based upon any number of social economic factors, if you can't get people to confront the social economic realities by just actually showing them, here's our statistics. Now, you say, and you say to them, do you think based upon the statistics, that you're treated as an American. And their conclusion is, yes, I am. Well, how do you confront such kind, that kind of ignorance? I mean, that kind of self-hatred. I mean, how do you confront that? I do agree that change, you know, uh, the, the attempts to introduce change does have an a, a impact. Maybe not a major impact, but it does contribute to overall uh, realigning in terms of how people, how people see the world. And Brother Kwame is absolutely correct. Uh, you know, so oftentimes we don't realize that we engage in these these, 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 these struggles and that people don't get what we're talking about or get what we're doing, but they get it in terms of the kind of things they do. It may not be, you know, they may not be flamboyant in terms of their opposition to the system, but certain things they do is an indication that, in fact, they're beginning to grasp at least some of the importance of what's being done or what's being said. So in that context, we certainly understand that, uh, you know, uh, when we engage in struggle, you know, it does have an impact. It may not have the kind of impact we would hope it has, but it does have an impact, which subsequently leads to, you know, uh, somewhere down the line, a greater understanding in terms of, in terms of, you know, uh, our efforts in terms of being about uh, struggle in the society. So, so I, so I think that, you know, but I think that this issue in terms of this economy, in terms of you know, um, you know, what is it to be an American? I think it has to, that, I mean, that, that is the quintessential question about times. Because I think unless we can resolve that question in terms of what it is to be American, I think a lot of our people are not going to be amenable in terms of real mass organization. And particularly when you start talking about the, the, class, the class dimensions in terms of struggle, uh, there's no question to the extent that middle-income Africans, uh, particularly upper-middle-income Africans, uh, internalize this notion in terms of things to find them as human beings. Uh, once, you, once you start thinking that things define you as a human being, then of course you're going to do all you can to keep those things, uh, uh, keep those, keep them material possessions because it defines you as a human being. And so when anyone tells you you got to give up those material possessions in terms of for the betterment of society, for the for betterment of the community, it's not likely to be received well because implicit in their mindset is that this American, this thing that we call American, is very much part and parcel of their soul. And if they believe that America's interest uh, is, is aligned with their interest, then certainly one of the things that, you know, when you talk about in terms of 
uh, uh, think when you think that money defines human beings, when you start thinking like that, you don't talk, you don't brought into the to, to the American line hook down and thinking. And so reality is just in terms of trying to reach someone like that uh, becomes a monumental challenge. It's not impossible, but it becomes a monumental challenge. Whether or not you can introduce them to mass mass revolution organization uh, um, is questionable. But I will say this. Given the material reality in terms of what's happening in society, earlier I talked about the decline, you know, talking about the decline of the uh, bank, the credit rating for banks. Uh, weeks before I talked about the decline of, uh, back in 2011, the, the, the decline of uh, U.S. economy in terms of decline in its credit ratings. So when you talk about this fundamental decline in terms of the overall economy, then you understand clearly, you know, that the, the, the kind of declines that, that we're talking about are just uh, uh, Disadvantageous to the interests of African people. So those African people at this point in time, who live in house the hall with the big houses and the big cars and the money in the bank accounts, uh, in in the future there is no guarantee that such a such a, a, a such such, such uh, luxuries will actually exist in the future. In that regard, certainly they become they will probably become more amenable to revolutionary organization simply because they got nothing to lose at that point. And that is unfortunate, but nonetheless, I think in terms of the opportunism that exists in the soul, souls of so many people, I think it's reasonable to conclude that, you know, that uh, you get the greatest reaction in terms of uh, acceptance of revolutionary struggle uh, when people feel they have nothing to lose. As long as they got something to gain by playing ball that feeds into that psychic in terms of being somebody, I think they're more willing to play ball with the system at the expense of empowering the African community. But more importantly, I say this and I conclude this, Brother Africa. I think, and Brother Kwame, he talks about it has to, you know, the, the, the kind of paradigm that we seek has to start from the bottom up, and that's true. And so one of the things we're talking about, talking about you, know, you know, trying to bring exact change from the bottom up, I think the, the churches play an indispensable role in terms of achieving that. So I think that somehow we have to do a better job of trying to incorporate uh, these churches in terms of, this is mission to to politically educate the masses of the people. I think fundamentally, well, I think philosophically, I think when you start talking about the empowerment of people in terms of in the political realm, I think in, in the minds of a lot of church members that may be problematic because it implies, in fact, that the, the empower, empowerment of people comes from the people themselves. And I think people in church are more apt to say, you know, the empowerment comes from the creator. And my position is that, um, my position is that they're both right. You know, that uh, you can be empowered from the people and you can be empowered from creation. So I don't see a contradiction between the two. But I think a lot in the church may see a fundamental contradiction in terms of their mission uh, when you start talking about critically empowering people, you know, you know, in the churches or in the communities. But nonetheless, Brother Africa, these are challenges that we have to confront, contend with. And as I said, you know, as we talk about the growth of, author, uh, of you know, authoritarianism in society, and we talk about the, the powers of us increasingly, increasingly among the mass of the people, and clearly, uh, the bottom line is that we don't really have a choice. That we have to, we, we have to embrace some form of revolutionary theory, uh, a revolution organization, because the bottom line is that they're coming for us. That's just a cold hard reality. So for all the ignorance that exists in American society, and when you superimpose on the fact that these right wing politicians, right wing billionaires, are consecrating narrative which says that A, B, and C is the enemy, specifically African people, uh, are the enemy. And you best believe that a lot of these reactionary uh, folks are, in, in, in my community are internalizing that message 
and beginning to act on that message and as such. It seems to must seem to me it's incumbent upon us as a people to understand the implicit dangers that we're confronted with. And as as as, as Grandmaster Jay, you know, not messing around coalition, uh, you know, I think is a perfect example in terms of possibilities, in terms of kind of organization that we must have in terms of our survival in society. With that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, you can hear my voice. Just hit one, please. You can hear my voice, Brother Anthony. Hit one. And while we trying to see if Brother Anthony has gotten back and got his problems out, we go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, Brother Kwame raised a lot of issues, lessons to learn, based upon listening to his presentation, what are some of the focal points you think are relevant, the lessons that we have not learned, based upon what he had just articulated. Your response, Sister Eleanor. Are you with us, Sister Eleanor? I'm waiting for Sister Eleanor, Brother Moses. Your response to lessons you can learn from the speaker. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, Thank you, um, I think, you know, Brother Kwame Ture uh, is a uh, uh, genius in his own right and um, obviously, you know, a great leader and uh, uh, one who has independent theory, independent thought, and independent actions of of the Democrat and Republican Party. Uh, I think, you know, we can learn a great deal from his insights, um, and we have to struggle to make a better world out of the world that we find ourselves in. And so, you know, I think, you know, know, a lot of lessons he he brought up, um, um, certainly, you know, the independent organization Independent organization, independent thought. Thank you. Well, let's see you here. Sit down, Sit down, with us. Yes. Yes, your response, Sit down, Well, Kwame um, Ture was a true revolutionary <clears throat> and had clear worldviews um, and the impact of colonialism on African people as well as the struggle in the Caribbean and the United States of America and the American class struggle and the reality of the economic oppression of the people. And one very interesting point he made was uh, the fact that people were mobilized, there was mass mobilization, but that people were not organized. And the fact that the students uh, may not know what to do, but one thing for sure, they would not be sitting at the back of the bus. <clears throat> and we see this this struggle um, continuing now in the world, but organizing is the uh, most difficult aspect, and whether it's 
pulling together the uh, NAACP founded by W.D. Du Bois, I believe, or um, joining the All-African People's Party. The bottom line is we do need to to organize, and we see uh, how uh, the... the Endowment for Democracy, for example, a right-wing organization that has made its goal to um, undermine class struggle throughout the world and continues to um, support Zionism, um, is utilizing the church as a vehicle in Central and South and Central America in particular as a tool of, uh, to politicize uh, the nations and uh, the, the people. So the goal is right now, it seems, in, this, in the United States is to divide the petty bourgeoisie from the working class. So uh, um, as Juan Gonzalez, who is uh, a broadcaster on democracy now, is trying to politicize people to remind them that the polarization that's being forged between Africans and the Hispanic community in the United States is such an example, uh, and that's the old Willie Lynch story, Divide and Conquer. So what Kwame is doing is trying to give the world tools for pulling it together, for standing as a united one. And the working class, and we must remind ourselves and educate each other, that as long as you're earning a paycheck, that you are, in fact, a member of the working class. Whether or not you're paid well or not is not the issue. The issue is the ruling class does is not receiving a paycheck. It issues them. And we still live in a surplus labor economy intended to divide us by Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Um, Brother Anthony, if you can hear my voice, you can just come on in and talk and just interject. But addressing this issue to you, Brother Haki, you know, um, earlier at, at the beginning of this program, you talked about one of the historical events that took place on the 20th and 1856, Wilberforce University was established in Wilberforce, Ohio, established Wilberforce University. And I was talking in reference to, on one hand, there was positive, on the other hand, one means it was negative, but it was the beginning of the domination and the controlling of our minds, creating something that would only benefit the, the interests of the system when we talk about colonial education. Now, I just would like for you to extrapolate a little bit more on the concept, which I think is very important in which you must fight against, 
around this issue of individualism. Many times, as a byproduct of this education system, it makes you think that you are more important than the collective. It makes you think that you achieve all the things you achieve because your own individual uh, um, initiative. And you made it very clear that all the advances that we have achieved and continue to achieve individually come from a collective struggle, come from collective sacrifices. And um, but for some reason or another, uh, capitalism still seems to be very effective to make individuals think they still did it because they were great individuals. Your response, Brother Hackey? Yeah, well, of course, of course. And in, in fact, one of the reasons why white philanthropists uh, validated, you know, historical black college universities was to impose that uh, racial stratification in the African community and to endow these Africans who had opportunity to go to universities with this notion that somehow that by virtue of their independent, their, their, their independent, independent uh, 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 dominance in terms of academics uh, accounted for why they find themselves at the university. And, of course, it worked because a lot of people, in fact, in the African community did sort of internalize this notion that they were much better than the mass of people so, because by virtue of having access to education, that made them, therefore, better. Uh, that speaks to the class element of the African community. I think one of the things, Brother Africa, when you talk about it, in fact, acknowledging, you know, the contributions of, of, of blood from African people to arrive at those, to arrive at those, at, at, at those, those opportunities. I think you and I understand that it is, in fact, the mass of people who made it possible. But for people who internalize this class dynamic, I uh, really believe, for a lot of them, that, in fact, that they did so on their own initiative and drive. And as such, when you approach such people in terms of trying to create an overall condition in society, which is amenable, which is in the best interest of all the children, uh, they tend to reject that. They come from a position that, well, the only, the, the, the only, the only focus should be it should be on the family. In other words, uh, society itself is, is fair, and all I have to do is separate, uh, you know, focus on my, my family, and if they get what they need, that's all that's important, you know, all the things are irrelevant. And so, therefore, clearly when you talk about that kind of mindset, uh, it speaks to this kind of notion in terms of violence of this notion in terms of, you know, individual, individual achievement or, in fact, being better than other people based upon, you know, based upon, you know, uh, your mature possession mainly in terms of going to university, graduating, you know, getting a better, you know, getting a better job, so forth and so on. Uh, so clearly, you, you're absolutely correct, Brother Africa. I, I think that it is a problem. I think, you know, it's not only a problem historically, it's a, it's a, it's a problem right now. Uh, you know, and one of the things is that, which is unfortunate, is that when you talk about, you know, historical black colleges and universities, and you talk about the, the, the open policy in terms of, you know, recruiting, you know, African people across the across the economic spectrum, uh, which is a very good thing. Uh, keep in mind, there's nothing in terms of sort of eradicating this notion that, in fact, that you have no responsibility to your community, you have no responsibility you know, to your people, you have no responsibility to humanity. Uh, so as long as that kind of mindset exists in the minds of university, uh, university students, then clearly, Brother Africa, I think the system at large has won. So the struggle for us, of course, is to get people to question that mindset. And it's not easy. It's not easy to do. I mean, someone who's inculcated or, or to believe uh, that, in fact, that uh, you know, by virtue of being a university, you know, that they're somehow brilliant, while all others are not, is 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 a is a reflection 
of the kind of serious ignorance that exists in society, particularly as it relates to understanding the historical you know, African experience here in the United States. Uh, so with that, Brother Africa, I'll conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Eleanor, can you talk to me about the contradiction around how one perceives the purpose of knowledge? And the capitalists, they, they do a very good job of making people thinking that knowledge's major purpose is to be used as a tool just to advance them. What is the purpose of knowledge? And if we believe it's just only to advance us, then we can come to see why we had the chaos that we, we have today. So how do we change this through narrative on how people view the purpose of knowledge? <clears throat> well, each one, teach one is completely lost in this concept of uh, promoting this um, um, superiority, this individual superiority. And we've seen that <clears throat> whereas the abolition of slavery, you saw that the slaves were quick, the former enslaved people were quick to organize schools, teachers, and to teach each other and to expand the rank and file of educated people. But in today's populist society, we um, have uh, education, one, as a privilege. People think it is something that they earn rather than it was something they um, have access to and may have, may have been earned and may have not been earned. But that's an uh, illusion that we begin to promote with children from a very early age. You'll see at the more advanced universities, uh, such as Columbia and other, it's simply a pass-fail system because the goal is education, not to build egos and the id. And we have seen that since the uh, U.S. Civil Rights Movement that there's been a decline in education amongst African people. And it's been fostered by this whole notion that uh, I got mine, you got yours again, I'm at, I will be memorialized. And we have this um, individualism that um, outweighs anything else the collective good of the people is completely lost in the education prototype that's used in the West, especially in the United States. So uh, the most important thing we can do as uh, individuals is to emulate nations like Cuba that have math literacy programs for everyone from 8 to 80, and whether it's setting up reading groups, um, uh, basic computer literacy groups, but to begin to do this to advance our people collectively, and we will see a qualitative change, and this is urgently needed so that we won't 
see what we've seen in the last uh, year with the confusion around the U.S. involvement in the Ukraine and things of that nature because people will have a basic education of world history, geography, and other knowledge. The other important component is the fact that this educational component that we utilize now fosters neocolonialism and encourages us to uh, think that uh, one may be uh, uh, superior to the other. And our major goal right now as Africans is to recognize not only ourselves who live and are born on the continent, but the descendants of uh, slavery, as uh, was featured in the video this evening, uh, the descendants of those that were born in born into slavery. But thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, you know, we talk about this question of coalition. You see, I've not learned the value of coalition and how to coalesce, co- have coalitions among different groups and understanding our interests. And I say this in relationship, you see, if you have not learned anything as of today when it comes to the Democratic and Republican Party. Their interests are not the same as African people's interests. Africans as a whole have not come together collectively to um, to identify our interests. So how do you expect for African people to have any kind of impact in any kind of political party if they are not organized and don't know their own self-interest? Is this why we keep being played by the Republican and the Democratic Party, Brother Moses? Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, we have to have our own independent organization with independent thought and independent action of the Democratic and Republican Party, which is the bourgeoisie party. Um, we have, we, there's no question about it. Uh, um, we. Without revolutionary theory, there can be no revolutionary movement, and we must we must sum up the experiences of the, of the working class, taking its general aspects, and apply it to our situations that we face today, and and come up with the correct path forward. And uh, you know we're struggling uh, uh, today, but victory is sure. Thank you. Ooh, Brother Hakeem, closing it out for the night as he talked about Kwame Ture and lessons from the 60s. We raised a real critical point I think we continue need to learn and understand. And the point he raised was that the issue of uh, instinct, unplanned, unconscious planning cannot defeat conscious, organized planning. Articulate that particular aspect of why that's important for us to um, learn from. I see like we continue to do things out of spontaneity, spontaneity, and that's what the enemy knows, and that's how, that's why he continues to be able to dominate and control our people. You're absolutely correct, uh, Brother Africa. You know, we take the incident in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, just the last week, uh, where the uh, brothers and sisters defended this uh, brother who was under attack. 
uh, if you think about that, you would think that given that reality, that would be the perfect pretext or the per- perfect context to actually uh, build something to build on. Uh, but for the most part, Douglas just simply went back home in his business as usual. So this is instinctive understanding uh, in terms of uh, your response to crisis. There's something that it's, it's very difficult to overcome. But yet, in terms of being truly successful, in terms of bringing about uh, the kind of uh, uh, paradigm that we seek in the society, it has become extremely important that we become organized. Because when we're organized, we actively think about it. We, we, uh, we, we anticipate scenarios. Uh, we understand in terms of by working together with us, you know, have a unified frame of thought, then we can compete, we, then, then, we can, then, then we can deal with anything that comes down the road because we got already the basic understanding in terms of what goes on. And if you superimpose organization in terms of that basic understanding, then you become vulnerable. And this is something that's important in terms of people in terms of organization. But yet, you know, uh, I think one of the things that sort of gets in the way in terms of, you know, collectively organizing, I think to a large extent, to the extent that we internalize this notion in terms of, you know, uh, you know that we are American, we fail to understand, you know, that as long as we think in those, those things, then we can do those things that we perceive in the interest of, of, of America. And so in that context, we mean that the less noise that we make in terms of, pro, of um, in terms of, um, you know, um, struggles in the street, uh, the less that we engage in accurate critiquing the, critiquing the system, we think we're better off, we're better off America. But, but the reality is that the less that we, we, um, we, we protest, the less we articulate the problems of capitalism, the more we inadvertently create a situation in society where our very existence becomes much more precarious. So this is the fundamental problem that we're, that we're confronted with. So trying to get our people to understand that we need active organization in terms of bringing about needed change, you know, it's 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 a it's a, it's a, it's a process. I mean, you know, um, uh, how you can how you can advance that process, uh, you know, um, I'm not sure how you can advance that process. I think because it is a process, you know, you can only put out there into the world, uh, you know, the, the significance in terms of having organization, in terms of dealing with these problems that African communities uh, front with and contend with, and leave it to the masses of people to make a decision in terms of whether or not, you know, they're ready to actually organize, uh, um, in, you know, in terms of, you know, um, being prepared for whatever comes down the road. So I, so I think to a large extent, Brother Africa, I think that until that's a repudiation of this notion in terms of American interest, it's African interest in America, I think we can continue to make wrong decisions and as a consequence, we can continue, you know, uh, subconsciously or unconsciously validate those 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 validate those those conventions, those ideas that exist in American society which are not in the interest of African people's survival. So clearly we got our work cut out for us. All right, panelists, we'd like to thank you for your response to Thomas Ray Lessons from the Sixties. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a rubber culture break and when we come back, you will have your final thoughts for today's program. You are listening to Brother Africa and Africa on the Move.
you come from Clarendon, and if you come from Portland, and if you come from Westmoreland, you're an African. So don't care where you come from, as long as you're a black man, you're an African. No mind your nationality, I've got the identity of an African. Cause if you come from Trinidad, and if you come from
We too would like to just give a brief shout out to Y'all Well Done by the AAPIPGC as they did a excellent seminar um, this year in honor of Brother Kwame Ture. And the theme this year was from students and youth to lifetime revolutionaries, the mission to raise class struggles in Africa and the diaspora for one unified socialism. That was a seminar geared toward youth, geared toward students, youth, and women. It was an excellent job. If you get a chance to check out their website at some point in time, I'm quite sure they're going to um, make it available where the public can view it again. But always check out their website. There's so much you can learn from it. If you're not in the organization, that's one of the organizations we highly would encourage you to take a look at and help join them. And you can do that by going to their website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. So on that note, let's get back to our closing thoughts for tonight. And we'll start off with Brother Moses. We'll find the thoughts for tonight, Brother Moses. Can you hear me, Brother Moses? Your final thoughts? Okay, while we wait for Brother Moses, we'll go to Sister Eleanor. Your final thoughts, Sister Eleanor. Well, I want to thank you for another wonderful show, but the important thing that we take from tonight is that there is a global struggle, a global class struggle. The struggle in Africa is the working class struggle, but it's also a struggle against neocolonialism. In the United States of America, it is a struggle uh, to organize the working class and to educate and mobilize the the people. And uh, we have to remember uh, Carter D. Woodson's and review his book, uh, The Miseducation of the Negro, written in 1929, because this struggle has been going on for for decades and continues to go on. And we take uh, two steps forward and one back often, and we can't confuse a few uh, reforms with liberation. And more importantly, this evening, we hope that people realize the value of their education and the importance of sharing their knowledge, their education with others and organizing with other groups uh, throughout their community. And organizing begins where you stand. And with that in mind, I want to thank you for uh, once again for a great show. And uh, as uh, the French uh, continue to oppress the Francophone Africans, you continue to see the Anglophones being oppressed throughout Africa as well as Asia by Anglophone colonialists. And imperialism will only be crushed if we the people crush it. The workers will only rise if they take action to rise. And remember, the main abolitionists doing chattel slavery 
weren't the people we read about so often in history books, but they were the people themselves. They could not speak, and we may never know their names, the millions of people who participated in um, freeing others. Though they may not be free themselves, they knew that one day we would all be free as long as we struggled together for freedom. Harriet Tubman hid a many a soul from Maryland through Delaware into Pennsylvania back to Delaware just to get them to Philadelphia to a new life, to a life of freedom. And with that in mind, um, I just remind everyone that uh, uh, united uh, we will find victory. And uh, we see unions are weaker than ever in this country. So we want to urge the nurses uh, to unite in unions. We see that doctors no longer work for themselves. They work for corporations. Mega uh, capitalism, U.S. imperialism is alive and well, not only abroad, but in the United States and that there is no one within the rank and file that are not now employed. Lawyers know very seldom work for themselves. They work for corporations. Doctors no longer work for themselves. They work for corporations. So think about that. It's time to organize. It's time to face the fact that we are all members of the working class and to stand up for our rights and those of the children and Mother Earth. Thank you and good night, Brother Africa. Thank you. Good night to you, Sister Alamore. Next, we can come back to we have Brother Moses. Are you there, Brother Moses? Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, it's been an interesting, as usual, show. Uh, I think we've informed ourselves and informed others of the information that we need to carry on the struggle. Um, you know, we we must study, 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 and turn ourselves into revolutionaries guided by great feelings of love for the people. And, uh, you know, we... We look, we look around the world, and we see countries want their independence, nations want liberation, and the people want revolution. And we must know that this historical trend, this this inevitable trend, you know, it can be disrupted by reactionaries. But we must organize and and. Uh, follow through on our commitment to the struggle. Thank you. We thank you, Brother Moses, for your contributions to today's program. And Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, well, I, I think, Brother Africa, I think, you know, uh, the, the writing is on the wall. Um, when we talk about the fundamental shift in terms of access to resources in society, we got to fundamentally understand that you cannot give uh, a bulk of the resources to one-tenth of one percent of the population. 
under such a formula, uh, decline is, is inevitable. Uh, there's no way of getting around that. And despite this fact, when I think about the fact that they're currently, you know, trying to create a law to justify uh, not taxing the wealthy, uh, in addition to the, the, the benefits they already well from, you know, being wealthy, they want additional safeguards to ensure even more of their wealth is not taxed. When I stop and think about that, and I think about it in terms of the need of the government for revenues, uh, you, you stop and wonder, you got to, you got, you got to wonder, Precisely, what's going on here? Are they consciously trying to destroy this economy? What is going on? Or is it just uh, symptomatic in terms of how capitalism works? I think for me, I think it's symptomatic in terms of how capitalism works. But I think it's important that people understand, even those who have a love for capitalism, based upon some erroneous notion that, in fact, capitalism is altruistic, begin to understand, you know, that uh, given the caring setup, uh, when it comes to capital, capitalist expenditures, uh, no expenditure that they engage in is, 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 is an interest or a benefit to the economy at large. It's always to the interest or the benefit of a very small number of people. Typically, we're talking about 1% of the population. Uh, so clearly, we've got some problems there. I think one of the things when we talk about Keynesian polit- uh, economics, uh, clear, it's clear that one of the things when you talk about eliminating 175,000 people per quarter, you know, from social service roles, uh, essential or Medicare Medicaid roles, and essentially what you're what you're saying is that, you know, uh, you you're reducing government revenues, uh, revenues that could be acquired by the government by ensuring that people have access to some monochrome income. That income is now discarded, which means that there's no revenues forthcoming for the government. That means that's that's only going to extradite the decline of the economy. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, my my only motivation in terms of exposing this is that I, 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 just, I just realized that, you know, that there are a lot of innocent people in the society, uh, a lot of people, I mean, innocent people across the board. Uh, there are a lot of innocent white people, a lot of innocent African people, Asian people, Latin people, you know, who don't understand in terms of the severity of the situation that we find ourselves currently confronted with. And I just hate to see a situation where, you know, um, you know, mass destruction ensues because people don't fundamentally understand how capitalism works. So my motivation is not that I give a damn about capitalism. In fact, I think it's good that capitalism is on its way out. But in the same token, I recognize, you know, that, you know, as it declines, uh, when we think about the kind of authoritarianism that is sweeping the society, it's only going to have very poor, very negative ramifications, ramifications, repercussions uh, for the masses of people in the society, in particular African people, who disproportionately tend to be working, working class people. Uh, so, you know, so I think that we, you know, it's important that we understand the challenges before us, and we have to have organizations, you know, institutions and communities to prepare our people for the inevitable. Uh, it's not, it's not, this is not to scare anybody. It's not to stress anybody out. It's to give people, you know, some understanding in terms of what's precisely going on in society and why we must prepare ourselves for the inevitable. Having said that, Brother Africa, I always encourage people to unravel the matrix. Uh, that is key. Uh, if we're going to talk about any chance of longevity in society without fundamentally understanding what's going on in society, we do ourselves a disservice by not understanding. So having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night.
And you do the study, Brother High Key, and thank you for your contributions to today's program and to our listening audience. I want to remind you that when Africans keep the struggle, the major objective to struggling is they struggle for power. You're not struggling for material things and stuff. You struggle to have the power, to have the means and ability to do, to bring forth, to own and control their own destination. So until next time, you actually join us next Sunday at 7 p.m. Actually join us as we travel down the road of liberation. And remember that Africa is on the move. We'll see you next week, and we'll leave you now for the next 30 minutes with some sounds of sweet liberation. This has been Africa on the Move, as host of Africa. Let's strive always to go forward Africa, stop this novel, and remember to fight for Pan-Africanism. That's the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. With, one, with that one objective, once achieved, African people will be free. So until next time, join us on Africa on the Moon. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine Palestine. needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine. needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine 
needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. chains, living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. Must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there where our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through. My journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Hello a bloodline across the waters, from Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk 
and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people the love of my people shining like the sun everywhere we go everywhere we go when the light is clear oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
supermarket, I've seen you in the street and at your political convention. Talking of your crusades, talking of your nation, and other things too terrible to mention. And you proclaim your Christianity, you proclaim your love of God, you talk of apple pie and mine. I've just got one question, can I want an answer? Tell me, who would Jesus bomb? Cause they're not Jews like him Maybe Jesus would bomb the Afghans On some kind of vengeful whim Maybe Jesus would drive an M1 tank And he would shoot Saddam Who would Jesus bomb? On the TV and on the battleships I've seen you in the house on the hill And I've heard you talking about making the world safer And about all the men you have to kill And you speak so glibly about your civilization And how you have the moral higher ground While halfway around the world Your explosives smash the buildings You could only hear the sound But maybe For his enemies in the lands way over there Maybe Jesus would have flown the planes That killed the kids in Vietnam Who would Jesus bomb? You shout with confidence as you praise the Lord And you talk about this God you know so well You talk of Armageddon and your final victory When all the evil forces go to hell Well, you'd best hope you've chosen wisely On the right side of the Lord And when you die, your conscience, it is clear You'd best hope your atom bombs are better than the sword And the time when your reckoning is here in the Bethlehem or death to raise the towns of Timorese. I don't think Jesus would lend money to dictators or drive those SUVs. I don't think Jesus would ever have dropped a single ounce of napalm. Who would Jesus bomb?
es que eso es obvio. O eres ángel o eres demonio, mi niño. O eres ángel o eres demonio. Quiero ver a toda la gente con las manos arriba. ¿Dónde están los latinos con las manos arriba? Que vive el hip hop con las manos arriba. ¿Qué? Con las manos arriba. Que viva la cultura con las manos arriba. El deporte con las manos arriba. Venezuela con las manos arriba. ¿Qué? Oh, 